zeal for your house. One time when I was in Boy Scouts, we were on a camping trip driving from Phoenix to Payson on the 87, which is always back in the day. Remember, it was two lanes. Well, I remember it was two lanes. But um, and so we're driving in the old family suburban and we're cruising along. And my dad was driving and he he noticed that one or more of the boys in the suburban was not wearing their seatbelts. And he wanted to get our attention, apparently. So he pulled the car over and hit the brakes, or it felt like he slammed the brakes, because uh, my buddy was like lying on the seat there, and he just went, because <laughs> he was not wearing a seatbelt. <laughs> and, you know, I was embarrassed. Like, Come on, Dad. But, but even as a kid, I could recognize the goodness of what was happening there. That, like, why was my dad so angry? Because he was worried about my safety and the safety of my friends. Was, was, he, being, was he being a big fat jerk by telling us to put our seatbelts on? I mean, it, it did feel, he kind of killed the mood for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but his, his rule for putting seatbelts on was not arbitrary. That there was a good that the rule was protecting. Our readings today illustrate two different ways that God fights for our good. In our first reading, we hear the the Ten Commandments, and after a while, it kind of feels like the Twenty Commandments, and I think there's a lot of people out there that when they think about religion, when they think about Catholicism, they're like, oh, it's all about rules. Yeah, it's just a whole whole lot of rules and things like that. But, but behind every rule is a protection of some good. It, it's actually the same thing, supposed to be the same thing with our laws and our society, you know? Why, don't speed, wear a seatbelt, you can't smoke on an airplane, truck drivers can only drive so many hours before they have to stop. Like, if, if you look at these laws, you look at these rules, there's always some good that they're trying to protect. Now we. Our society is imperfect, and so our human laws can be imperfect and unjust. However, God's laws, God, who's perfect, that his laws are, are good. They're, they're pleasing. They're meant to be so delightful. It doesn't feel so delightful at times, but sweeter than syrup or honey from the comb. They're meant to, they're meant to be blessings to us. And... And so an interesting exercise would be to think about any, I don't know, commandment, law, teaching of the church, of God, and especially ones that we bristle against, and to think about what, what good is this protecting? And, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's not even about, sometimes people say, well, I disagree with this law, I think it's unjust. I, I think more times than not, it's not that the law is unjust. It's not that the law is unfair or uncharitable. It's, it's usually my heart that's a little selfish. And, and through time and experience, some of that's proven true. Like, you know, today we hear, you know, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not, you know, you shall not commit adultery. That one, it feels a little easier to figure out what is that trying to protect? 
But, and we can, we can see that from a distance, but we're in that situation. Like if, if we've had that experience, say we've been in a relationship that's been sexually active, and then we break up, and we wonder why our heart hurts so bad, that we're not just sad, but we're, we're crushed. It's like this person took something from me. And so God's law is trying to protect the goodness of our hearts, our souls, our bodies. And so sometimes we learn the goodness of, of laws and commandments after the fact. But I think true, so I think wisdom comes in three places. It can come from my own suffering, like, wow, I learned that lesson. Sometimes we suffer and don't learn the lesson, but yes, we can learn wisdom from experiencing the suffering and learning the lesson. I think that's why God allows it. Secondly, I can actually look around, I see somebody else suffering, and I'm like, that does not look like a good idea. I am not doing that. Or I can just hear something and be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Or even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to trust that. And that's what God invites us to do with the, his laws and commandments, is saying, do you trust me? Do you trust that this is for your happiness, even if you don't understand it? And that's how we become wise. Uh, this, the book of Psalms says in multiple places, uh, the be, uh, wisdom, uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God means to, to love God above all. Like, God, I love you. I trust you. And when we listen to him, we become wise. And so we have this, that's our first reading. That that's one way that God is, he's trying to work for our happiness. But Jesus goes deeper than that. In our gospel, Jesus goes and he, he cleanses the temple. And this, some people feel like there's like an error here. Like, is this really Jesus? Did Jesus go and like make a whip out of cords and turn over tables and stuff? Say, like, well, thanks be to God. I mean, it's the word of the Lord, you know? But so what's going on here? Is Jesus, it looks like he's angry. Is it a sin to be angry? I, I remember being growing up as a kid, I thought... Whenever I was angry, I thought, you know what, nope, nope, I'm supposed to be, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be nice. So if I'm angry, I'm doing something wrong, and then what I would do is I would end up getting angry at myself for getting angry. When really anger is, you know, inside out helps me know this, but other things make me know this. Inside, uh, anger is an emotion. It has... I think I, what I've learned in, over the last few years even, that I think all the emotions have a voice, and I think anger has the most important voice. Anger is, for me, has become the most important voice to listen to. Because I'll feel angry before I realize what's going on, and so it's become a signal. But the passions, the Catechism says, are morally neutral. They're meant to, have, they're meant to help us in doing what's good, and they're meant to help us avoid what's bad and evil. They're supposed to give us that extra fuel we need uh, to do what's good for us. And so anger, most often, is a response to injustice. Like, there's something wrong about that. Like, wait a minute, like, I was first in line. Why are you giving that to them? Like, that's not right. And so there's something, there's something unjust happening. But what's beautiful about our God is God, one of the titles for God in Scripture is the just one. That nobody gets angrier at injustice, you could say, than God. 
And God looks at you and I and he says, tell me about your anger. What makes you angry? Bring it to me. And in fact, what I've learned is if there's something unjust happening and I don't get angry, there's something wrong with me. But that anger is a healthy thing. And so I bring it to the Lord to understand it, to parse it out, to find out what's, what's going on. Because he wants to hear all about like what's going on and how is that affecting you. And so what is Jesus angry about? Well, his, the peace of his temple is being disturbed. That his temple is not as holy as he desires. And so what or who is the temple? You could say, well, the temple was a, a building that people would gather in and worship God in. And so, you know, even today, what is the, you know, we have our church, we have our temple, and it's possible that, well, for sure, the members of the church are human beings, so they can be sinful, that there's the need for the members of the church to be purified, and perhaps other elements and ways that, that the, well, the building, but the, the church itself as a structure needs to be continually purified. But listen, here's another place. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. St. Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? For the temple of God, which you are, is holy. That we believe in baptism, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We become a temple of God. When we receive Holy Communion, we become like a tabernacle of God. That we are, we're a temple of God meant to, to rest with God with us and then to be vessels that help bring his love to the world. But, if, but I want to I move in harmony with God and his spirit. But if, if things are off, if, if there's things clouding my vision and I'm weak to do what's good, it's, it's not going to work so well. And so because God loves us so much, he... He continues to work and fight for the cleansing of our temples. That, that, that's, that's how serious he takes it. That, that the instrument by which he cleanses our hearts is the wood of the cross. But he continues to, to work in all sorts of ways. And what does he want to do? He wants to root out lies and speak truth. He wants to remove sin. He wants to help eradicate bad habits and vices and, and attachments to things that are not good for me. And he wants to reorder our hearts. And so what does this look like? Uh, first, like, it looks like painful, but I want to give you a couple examples. You, you know it's happening because it's unpleasant. Uh, I remember uh, senior in high school and you, know, you do sports for all these years and you're like, all right, this is my chance. And I wanted to be like the best and win region and move on to state and all that stuff. And I got like third place. And I remember feeling crushed. I was like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Like I put in the work. I'm supposed to be the best. But what I didn't realize was that that pain, in that pain, God was trying to heal me from the lie that my worth is based on my performance. That how I do or being the best determines my value in, in the world and in other people's minds. And God wanted to free me from that lie. And, and over time, I know even now, like when I do athletics and sports, 
that, you know, that I can feel if I, if I lose, a lot of times it's like, I'm just, first of all, I'm happy that I didn't get hurt. Uh, and <laughs> I'm just happy, like, I just, I do sports now, I do athletics for the sake, for its own good. Like, I love to play basketball because it feels like, it just feels like beauty. I don't, yeah, you think about, for whatever that analogy is for you in your own way, that it just feels beautiful. And so now, but every now and then, if I, if I lose or, you know, I miss my third layup in a game or something, you know, like, I start to get frustrated, and then I realize my heart's not pure yet. That God's still working on me because I still feel that friction. That he's still trying to order me and purify me and free me that, from that. That I have to be good and can't just enjoy it. That it's, he's exposing that. Another little example maybe you can relate to, is uh, my senior year in college, uh, this girl that I thought, in my heart, I thought I was going to marry, that we ended up breaking up. And I, I realized, that without realizing it, that I had made her my number one. Because it's, it's understandable, when you, when you break up with someone, it's sad, you know? I had hopes for this, you know? And you, you say to God, God... I really thought she was the one, you know, like, like that's okay to say, like, I just, aww, I was really hoping that would work out, you know, but when it just steals our spirit, when it crushes us, when we lose hope of tomorrow, God is trying to do something deeper, he's trying to remind us that we weren't made, our happiness is not going to come from any one person. That our happiness is meant to come from him. And he might bless us with people in our lives through a, a dating or marriage relationship. But even if not, that, that, that we, find, we can find ultimate fulfillment. In, we need relationship. We need friends. But I, I don't... So if I put... I didn't realize I was putting my future and my hopes in this one person. And God loved me too much to let me stay in that misordering. That's what it feels like. It feels pretty unpleasant. But when I recognize, when I can see that that's what God's doing, okay, God, that somehow this is for my good, that I can choose to, to move forward with openness and courage. That other ways this feels like is if you ever get caught, like, cheating in some way, or if we're called out for gossiping, or if my brokenness is somehow brought to light, that's a really difficult moment. But it's meant to be a moment of purification, of freedom. That we can be like Jesus and just put it all out there and just say, I don't have to hold anything back because I trust in my Father who loves me. Then he's always working all things for my good. And, and then I can choose, Lord, I give you permission to continue purifying me. Give me the courage to move forward when it's difficult, when I feel exposed when I feel broken down, that perhaps my foundation is wrong and you're trying to heal things and make it right. It's, it's kind of like this process is a lot like Lent, where I say, God, I hate this, but I know it's good for me, that I desire to be purified, I desire to be holy, and so if I will the end, then I also will the means to get there. 
And so Jesus, even though I'm resistant, even though I don't want to open that door very far, I thank you for never giving up on me. I thank you for always having zeal for my house, for fighting for my purity, my holiness, and my happiness.